what's up? It's your girl Sequoia, Silicon Valley tech editor for Black Enterprise, and we are live at Tech Connect hey, with hey. my homeboy Jason Maiden. What's going on? Founder and CEO of Superheroic. How you doing, Jason? I am well. I'm very well. Thank you for asking. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm excited for you, though, because yeah. you just stepped off stage doing some <laughs> real dope stuff. So tell me more about Superheroic and what you guys have going on. Yeah, so it's it's interesting when I get the chance to talk about my dream in public because so much of this has been in my mind since I was a child. Wow. Essentially, what we're doing is trying to build stronger children instead of fixing broken adults. Nice. And we do that through play. We do that through self-efficacy. We do that through immersion into this world of superheroes. So the whole premise of our company is not to necessarily turn a child's body into a billboard, but to build them up. When they put our product on, they're transforming, transforming into their most optimal versions of themselves. They're mm. going out, they're becoming a hero. So it's soft goods, software, hardware. It's a whole ecosystem of products that are radically going to change the way our children play. Wow. And what inspired this? Um, a lot of it started when I was a kid. And I was sick in a hospital at the age of seven. Okay. And I couldn't physically do a lot of things other children did. And so I had this this desire to want to play, but play in a way that was good for me, mm. you know, um, because I couldn't compete in competitive sports, obviously. Um, so I would just use the built environment and my imagination with my dad to go out and turn every single place we were on the South side into the world's largest superhero training facility. Right. And then when my son had gotten sick, uh, when I was a senior executive at Nike at the time, I realized I had these gifts and talents that I was using to build up professional athletes that could be beneficial to children. So play right. is a form of prevention. Right. And so once I saw it impact my child and how he felt about himself, I was like, this is what I'm destined to do. I have to do this, not only for him, but for everybody's child. Because right. there's a time, you know, right now that we're facing when children don't have any hope. They don't have anything to aspire towards. And so rather than say, hey, the best expression of yourself as an athlete or an entertainer, sometimes it's just being yourself is the best expression of yourself. So that's the beautiful part about the archetype of a superhero. So that's what's driving me is to empower children. Okay, you scared it past something. Yeah. You said when I was a senior executive at Nike. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's dive into that a little bit. Let's unpack that. Yeah, so um, I'll have my Michael Phelps moment. Let me jump in. That's when, <laughs> but, you know, I, I started at Nike uh, at the age of 19. Um, wow. I was an intern. At that time, I went to undergrad at CCS in Detroit, which is an art and design college in, in the heart of Detroit. So it's not like the outskirts. This is the city. I was there when downtown was vacant. Wow. You know, when buildings were covered with, you know, with facades that had fake people and there were deer running through downtown. It was like, I am legend. Um, <laughs> That's exactly where I went. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, was, it was fascinating to see so much culture and history in this place that was like a walled garden. That's, that's what CCS was. Okay. Um, I had always wanted to design for my superhero, who was Michael Jordan. Um, I was also a huge fan, still am a huge fan of Batman. So I wanted to be like Lucius Fox. He was CEO of Wayne Enterprises. He was a brother. He was an inventor, a designer, a financier. And I felt like I won't be able to jump from the free throw line, but if I can create the gear and gadgets that people like Michael use, then I can become Lucius Fox. Right. And so I chased that dream. Um, was fortunate and blessed enough to receive the internship with Michael. So I was the first design intern for Jordan brand, but also Nike's first African-American design intern out of, out of art school. Um, the thing about saying the phrase first, while I look at it like it's cool, I also, it gave me a sense of urgency. So when I got the job, I knew that I needed to open the aperture of possibility. So I bounced around from different categories in the company. I, I did stretch assignments in supply chain and finance and marketing because I wanted to plant seeds of possibility for people that came behind me. So mm -hmm. by the time I left to go um, to grad school at Stanford, um, I wasn't set on coming back. Okay. Um, but a lot of what made me decide to come back to the swoosh were, was realizing the work was undone. The people that were there still felt like there weren't opportunities really? for them. Um, 
and I was able to come back and be part of a team of people to effectively kind of scale some of the some of the things we see today with people getting opportunities at the swoosh. So design and business have always been at the core of who I am, but Nike and Mr. Knight gave me an opportunity along with Mr. Jordan and I'm thankful for that. What was that process like when you were in there, you were building? I know you said, I heard from a previous interview that you made sure that you went and talked to every single department. Yeah. So tell me what that experience and that process was like. You know, what, what was fascinating is I had the chance to learn from potentially two of the greatest, you know, athletic and business minds in the history of the world, one being Mr. Jordan, the other being Mr. Knight. Both of them share something that I think is innate to greatness, just desire to see everyone around them get better. Right. And it wasn't, they didn't lead by yelling and pushing, they led by example, but they also led by, by empathy. Like, nice. Mr. Knight would always tell us, like, did you serve the athlete? Do you think you did your best job for the athlete? And I remember working on a project and listening to him give feedback to another designer. And he says, the difference between a gold medal and no medal is mm -hmm. the decisions you make with this product. Right. And it impacted me because I'm thinking, these people train their whole life for a split second in the Olympics. And this decision, decisions I make creatively impact that outcome. Um, so it gave me a greater sense of purpose and empathy to really support the athlete. But then Mr. Jordan, you know, people talk about how he shows up in the world and what he does or doesn't do. But I'm a direct benefact, you know, beneficiary right, of, the, of, the, of yeah. the blessings that he brought to my life. I mean, between him and Mr. Knight, they paid for me to go to grad school. Oh, wow. So that experience of having these two great men tell me that it was possible for me to be great in my own way. It, it, it changed how I saw myself, but more importantly, it changed how I saw my position. It wasn't about self, it was about service. So I, I'm, the reason I talk a lot about going to other parts of the company is when you rely on other people to teach you, then there's a sense of humility and humbleness that fuels that. And I don't ever want to get so full of myself where I think I know it all. So I put myself, myself constantly in rooms where I'm intellectually challenged because I need to feel like I'm in service to something greater. And you only right. do that through, through struggle. And so by struggling with understanding concepts or struggling by trying to learn a new skill set keeps me humble so I can always be present in the moment and do my best job for the people I really am trying to serve. So it was a transformative experience, you know, being 19, coming from the South Side and then being thrown into a world where I'm traveling with Derek Jeter and hanging out with Michael Jordan. And I'm a kid who can, I can't even legally drink, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's it was something that I think. Um, significantly changed not only my my trajectory but my family's legacy and that's what i obsess over having a last name made mean something yeah because right now you know it, it I, I think about it you know when i was a kid on the south side i used to wonder how people who the, who were the people that the streets were named after like they did something to be remembered i want to live that type of life and nike right. gave me that confidence to say that openly i want to live a life where people remember my name that's beautiful. I'm so enthralled by your spirit. I'm just like, oh. <laughs> Grandchild of pastors and ministers and civil rights activists and slick talkers. That's all I do. <laughs> but let's talk a little bit about your brand with Superheroic. And you recently raised a $7 million round. Mm -hmm. You just closed out that round. And it seemed like, because all of a sudden all this press was on you, it seemed like it came out of nowhere. But talk about like the build to that, coming from like the beginning of actually yep. conceptualizing to getting to that point. Yeah, it took uh, five years. Wow. Five years to get to the point of publicly going to raise capital. So the first thing I did when I got here 
is I realized that what I did in my previous career would only get me so far. It may open a couple doors for interesting conversations, for people to ask me stories about athletes and celebrities, but not enough to impress them to give me, to give me you know, an investment. So once again, as I mentioned, I humble myself and my strategy is always to eliminate the way people can tell you no. Okay. So my resume and my portfolio didn't directly reflect my ability to understand technology and business. Mm -hmm. So I jumped into a startup because that's one of the things people talk about is do you have previous startup experience? Right. So I immediately checked that box. Like, yes, I did. And that startup, you know, went through some tumultuous times. I learned a lot about change management in a startup, raising capital, building teams, you know, sunsetting a product, you know, reduction in workforce, like all the stuff you deal with that most founders don't have to think about if they never experienced it. So that also taught me how to build products using limited resources on the hardware side. Because right. I knew eventually I want to you know, work on hardware stuff. Then I jumped into another startup and you know, stepped down from an advisor role where I became a co-founder. This was more on the software side. Because okay. I realized, okay, hardware needs software you know, in order to function right. and firmware in between. Um, so what I did was I wanted to learn how do you raise capital for a software company? Because now I'm not an employee, I'm a co-founder. Right. So I get a different purview of, of how this happens. And I saw the ups and downs of the CEO, the challenges he faced, the thing, questions he was asked. And I also had the good fortune of being a designer in residence at a venture capital firm. So I was able to look at both sides you of the table. You checked that resume in. 100%. <laughs> That's 100%. Great. Because it's all about, you know, you have to be honest with your weaknesses. Yeah. Because if you don't point them out and address them, then someone else will. So it took five years for me to build the confidence and to feel like I was ready mm -hmm. for Super Heroic and more importantly in the market. Um, so by the time I was able to put together the pitch deck and pour in my own life savings, I was living off credit cards. Wow. Um, I was pretending like I had employees by setting up multiple email addresses and it was all me. Um, but you got to believe in yourself before somebody else will. So I took five years to build up that, 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 that silo of belief in myself. Let's talk about the hustle because yeah. that's something that you know very, very well. Mm -hmm. And I think it's something that innately a lot of us who come from adversity have these you know, challenges going forward. What were some of those challenges that you experienced but you were able to apply the hustle mentality and then, you know, obviously proceed? Yeah, you know, it's, um, I mean, adversity to me is, is par for the course when you want to do anything that is, is truly different or distinct. So I would say the core challenge that I faced was how do I get in touch with Nike, you know, and let them know what I wanted to do without the traditional internet like I, the emails were existing when I was a kid and that was happening but it wasn't like today yeah, the concept of, of a search engine and yeah. LinkedIn that wasn't around so I hand wrote letters I experienced rejection at a very early age uh, age of 10 actually is when they first rejected me um, but it just built up this this skin you know this toughness where it was like you know what the person that wins isn't the person that's the best it's the person that refuses to quit and people <laughs> and a lot of people you know they get discouraged and they're like oh i'm not smart enough that but when you're in a fight and you're fighting for your dreams it's not intelligence it's intestinal fortitude that drives you so for me it was like i have nothing to lose because i'm willing to lose everything i'm willing to give up everything to get to where i want to be meaning even including my life like right. i was willing to and not it wasn't about shoes it was about showing people from my neighborhood what was possible so for me that was my driving factor whereas like i can't I can't fail because I failed them. Okay. And so the hustle, my hustle was fueled by, like I said, a desire to live a life that gives other people opportunities. So when I got the rejection from Nike, I just told myself, this is a delay, yes. This ain't a no. This is a de delay, yes. They gonna say, they'll say yes one day. That's um, I just kept showing up, kept showing up. And thankfully in my junior year, 
you know, they gave me an offer. Um, and they were like, hey, you know, have you heard of this group? It's called Jordan. They want their first design intern. And it, I mean, I literally, I'm in a movie theater in Detroit. And if you've ever been to a movie theater in Detroit, the one thing you don't do is sit still when someone stands up and screams. So <laughs> I stood up and screamed. I was so happy. <laughs> movie theater cleared out. I'm sure relationships ended because the boyfriend probably left. He was nervous. Um, but I was so elated because I felt like all the struggle, all the people telling me, you know, I wasn't going to make it, right. which were a lot. I had art teachers tell me people like me will either end up dead or in jail or, you know, your best outcome is to just join the military. Uh, my dad was in the military, so I, I took offense to that because I'm like, like, for a lot of us, that's the way we get our education. Like, why are you saying it as if it's a less right. than scenario? Right. Um, I mean, it put food on our table and provided us with opportunity. So. The hustle just comes from this sense of urgency. Like I get one go around in life. I don't want to waste it being mediocre. I, I, I'm not here for a long period. So I want to make sure I extract all the value out of, you know, this vessel that God has put me in while I'm here. Wow. Woo, you got so many tweetables. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes. Okay. So one of the things I like to do on my podcast mm -hmm. is play a game. Mm -hmm. Just kind of get to know you. So we're going to play Two Truths and a Lie. <laughs> two Truths. <laughs> <laughs> And you're going to tell me none of them. You're just going to tell me what they are. And I'm going to guess which one is the actual lie. Okay. You ready? Yep. Let's go. I am 34 years old. I'm originally from south side of Chicago. I am secretly a fan of Gumball, the cartoon. That's hilarious. I feel like I know you so well, though, yeah. so I know which one's the lie. <laughs> like, you're not 34. That's a lie. Yep. We got we to gotta find a new game for you. Because <laughs> <laughs> you all up in my Instagram, seeing my birthday cake. <laughs> <laughs> I know everything. Uh -huh. like, no, social media. Uh, I should just say social security number and just threw you off. <laughs> okay, do, do a different one. Make all it more right. challenging. Make it more challenging. challenging. I'm like, I know those. Um... What's a good true truth lie? Alright, I'll start with Ah, man, I know this. Ah, that could throw you off with a couple of these. Okay. Alright, so my first job, my actual real first job was a janitor. My ethnicity is part Jewish, part black, and Irish and a bunch of other stuff. And my children are named after very specific things that we find valuable for our life. Um, my son's name is Khalil, and so there's some value there. My daughter's name is Viviana, there's value there. Um, but that's actually not the names we gave them at the beginning. So those are the three things. So I, I'm, I'm gonna throw you some riddles. I'm throwing you some Dr. Seuss riddles and stuff. I'm gonna go with your first job as a janitor is a lie. Nope. Really? Nope. Tell me about that. No, nah, yeah, so I was I was uh shoveling snow and cutting grass, which was kinda informal employment, you know, little hustles on the side. But my mom had um worked at Suregard Storage in Chicago, which was a storage facility, and in the summertime I would go and work with a gentleman named Lou. He was an older black male from the south. Um, lived a very rough life but was a good man and he would go around and he would clean people's units and he would clean people's homes and do our jobs and so I used to go and do our jobs with him and a lot of it was cleaning you know cleaning people's okay. houses and you know bathrooms and garages and it was one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life why is that because I had the opportunity to, to really understand that struggle pain joy love is a universal shared experience when you're clearing out 
the belongings of someone who lost a loved one. You know, an older white Polish male on the, on the south side, and you're, he's going through photos of his wife that passed away, and you're cleaning his home, looking at him remember the love he lost. You realize, like, that's no different than when I watched my mom lose her mother or when my dad, you know, lost his brother. Like, it's a shared experience. And so being able to be a person that is a servant and you clean up after people, it's a humbling experience. But right. if you, if your eyes are open and your ears are open and your heart is open, you can really see how universally connected we truly are. So that fuels the way I design is, ah. is, is I feel like I'm a, I'm a person that has to observe and listen in order to create on behalf of other people. Right. Um, and that, right. I learned that through being like a janitor and stuff. So that's deep. That's a yeah. customer experience though, right? The yeah. user experience. You actually get to feel what's happening. Yeah. So which one's the lie? Uh, the lie is the last one about kids' names not being the original names. Yeah, so I found out that my mom, she did a genealogical test. Uh -huh. um, her father is of Jewish descent, which tripped me out. Um, I could see it. Yeah, I, look, growing up, I didn't know what I was. I mean, right. everybody would ask like her everything. Yeah. It comes in handy when I travel globally now, but, um, you know, growing up and not looking like anyone else around us and then having a mom that doesn't look like other moms right. um, and a dad that, you know, looked like other dads. It was an interesting experience. But what's great about that, once again, empathy, because... You know, being kind of racially ambiguous, you, you get a chance to really understand a lot and it fuels the business we're doing, you right. know, because the beautiful thing about me looking different is it didn't matter when I play with other kids. Mm -hmm. And so that's our whole philosophy. If you can play together, you can live together. So we want to keep that spirit where kids don't see race. They don't see these things until we tell them to see it. But they don't see it during play. All right. they need is a ball, a space, and some opportunity, and yeah. that's it. So we want to keep that essence and that spirit because we fundamentally believe if we do that well, in one generation, we can wipe out a lot of what we're seeing in the streets today. Beautiful. Well, I am super excited for everything that Superheroic has to come and yeah. all the blessings yeah. that you have going on. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Happy to see what Superheroic has in store for us, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Ooh, it's Sequoia with BE The Code, live and direct at TechConnect. This podcast is powered by eBay.